video games, television, and movies. In a world where the media has been dominated by superheroes and sci-fi, these barely Irish assholes must band together to make sense of it all. It's not news. It's utterly nonsense. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've found this podcast, thanks for finding it. Please tell us how you did find it so we know how to market this better in the future. Where are they going to tell us? Well, we do have a comment section on, you know, a few of our different platforms, I think. Uh, you can also, you know, tweet at us at Utterly Podcast. Uh, we do have a whole link of our, a whole series of links of our social media available on our website, utterlynonsense.com. I'm getting very tongue-tied today. I'm sorry about that. Hmm. Uh, and anyway, if you did find this podcast, thanks for sticking by. If you're a returning listener, which, you know, we do have a decent number of returning listeners at this point. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much. And we will get into it now. All right. So if you are listening to this on the day of its release, at least I hope, then it is, and it must be in the U.S., that is... Thanksgiving. <laughs> Remember that a long time ago? Was it three years now? We did a Thanksgiving special. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or we called it Shitsgiving at the time. Oh, but, uh, that's right. It was the Thanksgiving right. special. Yeah. And what was Thanksgiving related about that? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Which is going to be the same as... Yeah, it's sort of the whole same thing here. Yeah, same yeah. thing here. It has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. It's just the uh, happenstance release date. And just like with the Halloween thing, for some reason we wait until the night before to record. Which really just makes our life's lives easier. Uh, <laughs> it makes our lives significantly harder when it comes to actually putting these things together. So we should probably plan better in the future, but here we are. We'll never plan better. <laughs> I just yeah. get no sleep. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, so there have been a few things that we've been rolling around in the mind uh, when figuring out what to talk about. But there was something that came up, uh, I guess you could say, recently. I'm not sure if it was intentional. I heard it was like accidentally leaked a little bit before it was supposed to be put out there. And so they just went ahead and did it. But the Wonder Woman 1984 movie is now no longer pushed back to next year. It is now going to be released this year on Christmas. Not just, I guess, limited in theaters worldwide. Who knows how that's going to go? Probably not that well. And, of course, on HBO Max. Please sign up. We need we need subscribers. Please don't go to Disney. Please. <laughs> That's what I feel like. This is the whole point of. Well, look, I think HBO Max is going to start growing uh, a little bit more. And I think that's part of the reason why they're releasing it. Uh, Wonder Woman on HBO Max as its exclusive streaming service. Right. Like they do want to drive traffic to that. And, you know, they have some good content on there already. There's already a large base subscribing to HBO. 
Uh, there's already a lot of DC fans who are probably a little bit irritated that DC Universe is coming to an end. Uh, obviously, all the DC, all the new DC series and movies and basically anything else DC related is on this new platform. So it makes sense to sort of consolidate. Right? Is it actually coming to an end or it just won't have movies anymore? Won't it still have comics? It's yeah. I mean, it's all but done at this point. Uh I'm sure they'll still be releasing new comics for the time being, but you know, most of the people who are using DC Universe are probably going there for the new movies, for the television, for uh, the DC original content that you really can't get anywhere else. So the fact that they're removing that from the platform and largely going to HBO Max, with uh, the exception of Stargirl, which is going to uh, the CW, uh, it, it, it sort of shows that Warner Brothers' uh, strategy here is to move most of their business to HBO Max. They understand that streaming is the future. They understand that consumers want to pay for less while getting more. So HBO Max. Yeah, they might as well just roll in the uh, DC Universe thing into the HBO subscription. Like, why not? Yeah. What else? Unless they, I don't know, maybe reduce the price if it's just going to be digital comics. But I feel like they m- must have already had a digital comic subscription thing before that service so it's like it, it does it even have a reason to exist anymore post max at this point i i would say it doesn't uh i guess for hardcore dc fans it's still the most consolidated way of getting all of your dc content it's not like they're act actually uh removing any of these series at the moment but they're going to be airing new episodes of each of these shows on hbo max uh so you know it, it's like it's not officially dead yet but it's basically yeah. So yeah, I mean, what do you think of Wonder Woman making the move to uh, streaming only and with a limited theatrical release? I mean, well, what I've been wondering is how they plan to get return on it. I mean, the obvious answer would be money from subscriptions, but it's one movie alone, and it costs them at least two hundred million. I'm just looking at it now. The budget is two hundred million, and I know they already paid for at least most of the marketing. So that adds right. more on top of that. So I'm just wondering, like, do they expect to get a big return on this? And if they don't, well, what will that mean? Not, they won't do a third one. But then it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they didn't get like, you know, because movies like this, they obviously want to make close to a billion. But that is right. not going to happen. I know, Even though they're releasing it in theaters worldwide, you know, in Europe, you got the cases of the virus resurging. And of course, here. Yeah, no, here it's like way worse than it used to be. It's not going to be anywhere near what it would have been otherwise. And HBO Max is only in the US. So people outside don't even get to see it there. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not going to have a huge theatrical release for this, right? Like, just the fact is, if they're releasing it in, uh, you know, I, I think they're still releasing it end of December, right? Yeah, 25th. Yeah. So if they're releasing it next month, the virus is still surging at this point. Even if we got our shit together today, we'd still have a lot of cases. People physically do not want to go into enclosed spaces right now. So, yeah. uh, you know, the best strategy if they wanted a theatrical release would be to wait a few months, right? Like we're going to have the, the vaccine relatively soon. I think that's going to at least restore a lot of the confidence uh, for consumers to go into these more risky situations. But, you know, until that time, just you, you can't expect to have a large theatrical release and expect a major return on investment. Yeah. Um, 
so it seems like the move here is literally just to drive more traffic, more subscribers to HBO Max. They know that Wonder Woman's a proven brand. They know the first one was highly successful. They know there's a lot of fans of DC who really became fans of DC because of that movie, right? Like, yeah, I guess you could say that because it was like the first DC EU movie that wasn't yeah. very rooted in the uh, whole Snyder. Um, right. Not aesthetic because it's still his aesthetic, but it's kind of departs from his general tone a little bit. Right. So it's undeniably a lot more accessible, right? And you do have a lot of women, you know, not to say it's just for women, right? But uh, you do have a lot of women who weren't DC fans prior to this movie coming out who flocked around this movie because it was like a female-led superhero vehicle, right? You don't see too many of those. So it is a little bit of a novelty. It, it It's hard to deny that it does attract that audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, Wonder Woman is the quintessential female hero undeniably yeah she's pretty much the only one i care about yeah i, I don't <laughs> no, know i, mean, I, I don't know I if mean, that's that, bad that or that not sounds, but it's like that sounds a little bit sexist but uh who yeah. else is there yeah i mean as far as like the major heroines that you see in dc and marvel wonder woman's the go-to right uh undeniably like who else from dc even is there zatanna no black canary maybe Catwoman, she's kind of a villain. Harley Quinn, please no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're pushing Harley Quinn a lot now because they are a little bit starved for female heroes. But even Birds of Prey was sort of not necessarily a bomb, but it didn't do super well. So, yeah, what does that tell you? Yeah, what does Marvel have? Storm? No. Rogue? Yeah. Captain I mean, Marvel? Push- I was about to say I they were obviously care. pushing Captain Marvel, but... Oh, know, yeah, Black no Widow. Is, <laughs> is that going to go on Disney Plus, too, or what? I have no idea what they're doing there. It's like they keep pushing back the release date, which might have been the best move. I think they were going to give it a a, a Disney Plus treatment and essentially do the same thing that DC is doing with Wonder Woman 1984. But, I mean, it seems like pretty up in the air at the moment. Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing, because Disney Plus's model of having... The digital releases in lieu of the theatrical ones was that they had, I know they did it with Mulan, and I think they're doing it with some other animated feature that comes out on Christmas, is that there's like a one-time $30 fee to watch it for like a day. It's like a rental, and you get to watch it for a day. Now, Max, on the other hand, has no additional fee. It's just going to be on there. You can watch it anytime, as many times with as many people forever. Which is better for the consumer, but you have to wonder how that helps or hinders the actual business. Like, are are they really going to turn a profit off of a movie that you're essentially not paying for? Maybe what I'm thinking is they might just be willing to take a loss on its budget just so they can promote that service because of what I think they really want to catch people like before they sign up for Disney Plus, they want them to go over to max because you know not everybody wants to have all these different streaming services you got netflix hulu yulu zulu uh amazon uh you know disney paramount plus which is still cbs access but no one cares about that yeah so they i think they want to catch catch as many people as possible with this and that's their big gambit at least you know before the snyder cut comes out next year which is the point at which i will start my free trial and watch the whole thing in one go. Woo! I was about to say, like, even that, it's a relatively niche audience compared to, say, Wonder Woman, right? Like, you obviously had a huge dedicated fan base that wanted to see this thing, but is it going to attract the sort of fan base that you would get with some of these other big profile projects? 
you know, like I, you have to wonder if the average consumer, if the average non DC fan would even understand the controversy behind the Snyder cut, you know? Yeah. Well, I think at this point, at least if you've been online and you follow films to a slight degree, you're aware of it and aware of how it's kind of, you know, been this thing that people have clamored about for like the last three years. And now it's finally happening. I'm sure they'll, because they're not only giving Zack Snyder money to, you know, to reshoots or post-production or whatever. They're also investing in more marketing for it, I'm pretty certain, at least digitally. The fans already did all the marketing with the billboards and the planes flying by and all that. Yeah, I mean, they've it, there's obviously been a whole movement online for it. Uh, you know, it trends on Twitter every so often. So if you're active on social media, you probably at least have an inkling of what it is, even if you're not super dedicated. Uh, Zack Snyder has been putting out a few trailers for it, a few teasers for it. He's been going on different YouTube channels too, like being interviewed yeah. and just talking about it, which I find pretty cool. It's like because of the whole situation we're, we're in, because of all the social distancing and the uh, you know virtual meetings and the whole Zoom thing, it's like now uh, people who otherwise wouldn't have had direct access to these creators, now they haven't. Right. Just out of the odd circumstances of this year of this decade yeah i mean so you know we never actually did talk about the last teaser um i, I know we had some inner dialogue about the whole steppenwolf change uh, did you want to talk about that before we moved on to our main topic of the evening i guess we could cover briefly i know um they like re-released a longer version of that original teaser they showed off at uh the heck was it called dc fandom Yes, yeah. But yeah, and so Zack Snyder did like this um, hour-long stream where he kind of broke down each and every shot and talked about all the things that went into it. And so I guess the main thing that's different this time that you'd notice quite visibly is the uh, Steppenwolf redesign, which it does look a lot uh, more accurate, similar to the way, like, you saw him in the hologram in the... Uh, you know, BVS uh, Ultimate Edition. You know, I'm getting all these terms confused because between movies and video games and everything having Ultimate Edition, Extended Edition, Deluxe Edition, Definitive yeah, Edition. Yeah, it's hard to keep track. Oh, God. I just wish they'd stop. But yeah, anyway, he looks uh, what he should have looked like, I guess. But to me, it just it still just looks like a CGI mess. But at least it's menacing. Yeah, I mean, look, it looks a little more threatening. It looks a little more alien. It doesn't look like, you know, it's still clearly a CGI character, but it doesn't look like as egregious as the original uh, Joss Whedon version, right? It looks like they actually put some time into the VFX here, even if it is a little bit still obvious CGI. Um, I think he pretty clearly envisions that in the original cut, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, yeah. And I'll put it this way, because I think this is probably the most perfect comparison I can make. So in Avengers, we do have two, like, pretty sure, like, all CG characters. You got Hulk and you got Thanos. But of course, their likenesses are based off of Mark Ruffalo and um, Josh Brolin. They actually right. were on set and they did the mocap, or at least the facial capture. They did the facial performance and then, you know, they all did it all in post. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure they did a, the bulk of the, the uh, mocap as well. Sure, yeah. So, except for when Hulk is jumping around, I guess. Yeah, obviously the stunts. Well, at that point, it's not even going to be mocap, right? It's going to be uh, pure VFX. Yeah. 
So the issue with Steppenwolf is that he's not like that, as at least to my knowledge. He's more like one of the background alien characters from Avengers. Like, uh, what were they called? The Chitari? That's what he looks like. He looks like one of those things. Yeah, it's like I could see an entire race of these things being made, but to have a major villain who is the focus of this movie as that character, it's like you would have had to spend a lot of time sort of crafting that character, right? The reason Thanos does look so good is because he has Josh Brolin's face. He's very lifelike. He's very realistic. And he Uh, had build up. That's important because Steppenwolf has basically no build up. Like, I don't care. I don't know anything about his story, nor do I really care to. He's just he's a henchman, really. That's what his character is in the comics, and that's how he comes across in the movie, which I know it's supposed to be focused on the Justice League joining together, but if the main antagonist isn't interesting, that's still an issue. Like, if you look at the Justice League cartoon, the way it got started was with the White Martians, and at least to me, their setup was pretty interesting. It shows astronauts on Mars, they uncover this vault, it gets opened, and then suddenly you're thrown into the... uh, you know, a few months or so later and you see Batman find something really weird and it slowly builds up and then you uh, discover the whole story behind it when Martian Manhunter talks. You're not going to get anything nearly as deep with this. At least, I don't think so. Maybe they'll do more with Darkseid, but at the end of the day, they're still fighting Steppenwolf and not Darkseid, so... No, I mean, Eh. the way they're building it up, like, the the, uh, shot in the teaser where we do see Darkseid is pretty clearly meant to be the whole flashback scene when they're explaining the whole significance of the mother boxes and you see the green lanterns briefly yeah i'm pretty sure that's the scene that that would be a part of yeah when he's battling the uh, the old gods apparently according to snyder it was always supposed to be dark side in that scene yeah which makes sense right like you know he they want to sort of give the sense of how eternal how uh all powerful this being is yeah, or let me correct you, know, that. you need that build up he wasn't known as dark side yet there he was Euxus, as mm. jack would say jack that's that that's i know that because of you and you know that because of death battle so basically i know that because <laughs> of death battle. right so what was i gonna say yeah, so I mean, I, I feel like we're not going to get a huge leap, a huge uh, look at Darkseid beyond that shot and probably a new post credit scene, I'm assuming, right? Oh, uh, nightmare I, I, scene, maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, you know, it's going to be a while before we actually get the Snyder Cut. Uh, it's going to be a while before we see how many actual differences there are between that and the uh, Whedon uh, Frankenstein thing <laughs> that we got in theaters. I do very much like the fact that uh, Snyder says there isn't going to be a single frame that I didn't shoot myself. That mm. I, I phrased that weird. There won't be a single frame that I did not photograph myself. Mm. 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 Not shoot myself. Don't shoot yourself. <laughs> right. Does that mean we're losing the whole like slow motion battle scene when Superman turns evil? Because that was I. Like- no, I think that was Snyder's scene because okay. I saw a behind the scenes video and. It was Snyder there directing, and they were doing that, you know, with like a whole bunch of green screen everywhere, of course, but I'm pretty sure it was him that did that. There might be a few things changed, like after, uh, you know, he turns his attention to Batman. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's like literally one of the best scenes in the entire movie, so it would have been... uh, Yeah, I like that scene. It would would really suck if if they had to cut that because it was a Whedon creation, you know? Yeah, maybe we might not get the uh, the funny reaction on Ezra Miller's face like when he sees Superman actually turn towards him. So it might be cut differently, but that sequence itself will be there. Hmm. So, Neat. 
we started off by talking about Wonder Woman on Disney Plus. So speaking HBO of Max. things, oh right, right, yeah, good, good catch. On no, I get these mixed HBO up Max. all the time too. So uh, yeah. Oh boy, I can't, I can't anymore. So speaking too many. of features on streaming services that include Pedro Pascal. See what I did there? Yeah, that, yeah. Let's talk about the Mandalorian. <laughs> smooth transition, smooth transition. And why it's going to save Star Wars, or it might save, and that's what we're going to discuss. So why why is it the future of Star Wars, right? And that's probably going to be the uh, subtitle of this episode. It is the, I, you know, and I, I actually forgot to check before we recorded that. Damn it, that's what I was going to check. But I'm pretty sure at the moment they don't really have, or Disney doesn't have any solid set in stone plans to make films in the future but it's it seems like it's a little bit up in the air because there have been a few trilogies that were announced and then immediately backtracked on like there was going to be the whole remember the ryan johnson trilogy nope that was yeah but then the last jedi became so controversial that that was sort of thrown out the window i, I think um, it was just kind of quietly not talked about yeah and then we had the um game of thrones creator trilogy with space yes. dragons yeah. and then they said nope uh we got a netflix deal we signed too many deals uh, i guess we're gonna go in with netflix you know i've actually seen game of thrones since they announced and subsequently canceled that series and i gotta say the first six seasons of game of thrones are actually incredible it's like one of the best shows that has been produced in the last 20 years mm. right the seventh season was so rushed, you got to wonder if these guys actually have any creative talent whatsoever, or if it was literally just George R. R. Martin's writing that sort of brought this whole world to life, you know? Because <laughs> uh, we still don't have the seventh book in the series, so we have no idea what George R. R. Martin would have intended the ending of this uh, TV series to be, you know? So this kind of thing highlights why you really need good writing behind a series especially an ongoing series like that if the writing isn't there doesn't matter how good they are at visuals or whatever it has to have it has to be good on paper first yeah. although you might say that it could be saved in editing as uh it was with the original star wars so <laughs> what do i know yeah i mean look there's a lot of things that can make or break a film uh direction is one of many elements that brings a film to life so you can't really put everything that's important on the director you said direction yeah. And that is something yes. that the Star Wars sequel trilogy lacked. For sure. So, I, and I mean, you can make the same argument about the prequel trilogy, right? Like, despite the fact that George Lucas had complete creative control over the prequel trilogy, it's still, you know, pretty divisive, all things considered. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's more in how he told the story, but at least you could still see the fact that he knew where he was going with it. Right. No, he had a clear plan, at least, which you don't have in the sequel trilogy. And, you know, I, I want to be clear here. I actually don't hate the sequel trilogy. I think it's disjointed. I think that's pretty obvious to anyone who's seen it. But, uh, you know, to say it's outwardly terrible, I think is going a bit far. Uh, uh, well, I might say that, but I'm at the point where I don't actively hate it because I just kind of lost my uh, interest in Star Wars for the most part. Like, I'm not as passionate about it as I was now because I guess it kind of just killed it for me. Mm -hmm. Like when you when you have such high expectations and then what actually what you actually get is so far below or not close to it. It's kind of just, well, why do I even care anymore? So I'm not as invested in hating it, but I don't like it. I, I'll say that. You know, I don't like it. 
I, I will say it's like I remember because I was in the theater for all three of these movies, right? For all three of the sequel trilogy, uh, all three of the movies in the sequel trilogy. They're all very theatrical, very, you know, on their own if you were to take them apart and actually look at them as movies. Like, they all work pretty well individually. And they're all sort of give you this epic experience, which I don't regret going to see any of them, right? But uh, critically looking at them and rewatching them, it's hard to deny that they don't really fit together. You know, yeah. uh, Force Awakens was essentially a retreading of A New Hope. And I think George Lucas actually did say he didn't like it because it w- added nothing new to the franchise. And, you know, fundamentally it didn't, right? Like, you have a few interesting characters, but ultimately that's, you know, not really enough to base a whole new series off of. Uh, the Last Jedi, which I actually think is the strongest movie in the franchise or in the uh, trilogy. Uh, I know you probably disagree with me on that. Actually, I don't know where you stand on that because uh, Rise of Skywalker is sort of <laughs> uh, hard to compare. Well, I think it's, I see why you say that. The Last yeah. Jedi, I think, yeah, on its own, it clearly was trying to do something that, like you said, just doesn't fit well with the rest of it. And yeah. But I mean... The argument you always get from hardcore Star Wars fans is that it was basically destroying Luke's character. You had a bunch of unnecessary, uh, what's the term? Not plot holes, uh, uh, subversions of expectation, a a whole bunch of just, you know, uh, it's a lot of cool writing, which you could tell you were going to get with Ryan Johnson, but it. You know, it, it's not really what you're expecting from a Star Wars movie. And that's sort of the inherent issue. Yeah, here's the thing with Luke's character. A lot can happen in 30 years. Let's get that out of right. the way first and foremost. Yeah. And that's sort of my defense for why I'm actually pretty happy with the changes they made. So but go on. I could definitely see, you know, like, if it was anyone but Luke Skywalker, if you said it was, uh, uh, give me a name, any name. Django Fett. Oh, no, I mean, like, out of just a Someone normal still alive. If, if you gave me. Tom Jones. Just use Tom Jones, not the singer. (laughs) I was about to say. If the character was Tom Jones, in 30 years, Tom Jones has become jaded. He made the greatest mistake of his life, and it led to the downfall of everything he worked for. Now, he just wants to be left alone. I could understand that. I see what he was going for, but the issue with that is that it was not Tom Jones, or insert generic male name here, it was Luke freaking Skywalker that... So many people are invested in and wanted to see return. They wanted to see Luke Skywalker, the one they knew, return, not this other guy who's clearly been changed. And of course, since the movies are set 30 years after, you don't get to really see everything that fills in that whole time period that informs what, you know, Ryan Johnson was trying to go for. So to me, that is the biggest reason why it doesn't work. Okay. Okay, but see, that's exactly why they needed it to be Luke, right? You need, you know, the reason it can't be Tom Jones is because you need a character with buildup for that whole change in character to actually occur, right? For the fans to be invested in this character, it needs to be someone who was previously established, who you would never see this change coming from. Mm -hmm. Well, let me give Ryan Johnson a little leeway and say it's not entirely his fault with the Luke thing because it was J.J. Abrams who set that shit up. He set set it up as Luke's gone. The search for Luke, where is he? And then only have the last two seconds of the movie be him. So now you're kind of starting off in a corner here. You're like, 
okay, how do we write our way out of this? How do I make it make sense why he wasn't around? And, you know, there's only so many possibilities. Which, I mean, when you think about it, like, what other explanation would he have for completely deserting the movement he helped to save uh, 30 years earlier, you know? It it has to be something heartbreaking. It has to be something tragic, something that would cause him to completely desert his former life. And that's it. Yeah, I, it makes sense to me. I think me and uh, most of the people who were disappointed were hoping they'd go full anime with it and have it just that he was like meditating and studying the force all those years and he comes back as an all-powerful super wizard and he just blocks all the AT-AT shots with his hands and sends them back and levels the whole army. Come on, it would have been great! Which, I mean, to some extent, he, like, learned force techniques that no one else knew, right? Like, the whole projection thing. I, I mean, that was a cool scene, you gotta admit, even if it wasn't, like, epic force-stopping shit or anything. I hated that we don't really, or we didn't really get to see his green lightsaber again, except for when he's, like, mur- attempting to murder his nephew, or hesitating to. That that wasn't right. I liked that yeah. saber. <laughs> I may or may not be biased because my favorite color is green, but I digress. Okay, so here's the problem with the rise of Skywalker, because, you know, we, I, I think we've spent enough time in the past uh, knocking and promoting uh, uh, Last Jedi, right? <laughs> so here's the problem with the rise of Skywalker. There was basically no buildup for it. You know, it, it was clearly a course correction for this sequel trilogy, which... It, it was a trilogy within one movie. Yeah. And it was cut short because uh, business suits telling people what to do. There were... Again, this whole movie is very disjointed, but there's so many, like, genuinely good, genuinely heart-wrenching scenes throughout this whole thing. Um that it could have been a good movie if they had just planned for this a little bit better, right? And the whole Palpatine reveal, like, you know, I, I'm fine with Palpatine being the main villain of this trilogy since he was the main villain of literally the entire franchise up until this point. <laughs> but it literally came out of nowhere. It literally came out of nowhere. Yeah, of course. You know, like, <laughs> they they literally say it in the opening scroll, right? <laughs> uh, it, it's, that freaking opening scroll. The, it would have been a better transition to this whole thing if they had introduced him somewhere later on in the movie if they had tried to make it uh, you know somewhat of a reveal or if they had tried to put some inkling that he was coming back earlier on in the sequel trilogy you get none of that right he just comes out of nowhere it comes off as fan service and it's just disappointing no the whole movie was fan service i think everybody knows that without a doubt without a doubt and, you know, again, you have the whole criticism of J.J. Abrams not really being able to commit to killing off any characters, uh, not really being able to invest any sort of emotional stake in any of his characters. Yeah, I wanted to say that out of all the three movies, Force Awakens was definitely the most well put together. It is, I think, best off as a self-contained movie. You know, Last Jedi could work as self-contained, but obviously it's drawing from things that were set up, but then you have things that you know lead to nowhere like i think it would be better if you just first of all cut out the whole subplot with um uh, finn and what's her name rose uh yeah it it doesn't really go anywhere it doesn't really serve much of a purpose other than to fill time they don't end up getting the activation codes or whatever right yeah i mean it's like that's exactly why they basically cut Rose out of the uh, Rise of Skywalker. Oh, that was right? hilarious. Like, she was so universally detested among the Star Wars community that, of course, they had to get rid of her. 
but they couldn't like write her out completely because she was a major character in this movie. It would have seemed out of place if they had written her out com- completely. So, you know, for the sake of continuity in this trilogy, they had to make some decisions, right? There's one part towards the end when they're going to ride to horseback on the uh, Star Destroyers. And it like mm. gives me secondhand, I don't know, embarrassment, I guess, when she like goes to Finn and she's like, can I come with you? And he's like, nope. He just holds out his hand. Nope. You just stay right there. Far the hell away from me. Yeah. Like, it was a smart move. Oof. Yeah. And I know um, that that's another thing that's sort of wrong with the uh, Rise of Skywalker, right? Like, uh, you know, John Boyega has since basically disowned the franchise because they basically I, You know, gave I him, agree with him. They shafted him. Yeah, it's like they introduced him in The Force Awakens as being, like, this major character, right? Like, this, you know, former stormtrooper. He was going to be a Jedi like that thing he was going to tell Ray is like, oh, I have to tell Ray something or and like she cuts him off. Yeah. He was going to tell her that he's force sensitive, but that that got cut. Yeah. There was like no time or the worst time that they just didn't use it to establish him. Better. It really would have been nice if they had built him up a little bit more. It really would have been nice if we had had some sort of arc for him that actually had an end. Right. <laughs> I thought he was more interesting than Ray or Poe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think Ray was interesting to an extent, but you always knew exactly what her path was going to be. It was nothing really new, you know. She's just yeah. the generic hero of this trilogy. The only time it takes like a bit of a turn is when uh, you find out, oh, you are my granddaughter. How the hell does that work? I don't know. Are you going to explain it? Nope. Okay, moving along. That's what the movie does. What's this thing? I don't know. Are you going to explain it? Nope. Okay, moving along. <laughs> Well, it's like it means either fuck someone or clone someone. That's basically the only explanation. But her parents were killed, right? So essentially, didn't he have his own kids killed, or or were they? Yeah, yeah one of the one of his own kids. Yeah, yeah, one of. Uh, it's it's never going to be explained. I mean, you're unless you're assuming it's incest, which would you know add some more complications to the whole thing. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> But I did look a little bit at the um, leaked Kevin Trevorrow script, and I got to say, I don't really like it better than what we actually got. Mm. There were some decisions made, like, I think mainly it was the uh, the way it ended I didn't like much, but I think it did, did it or did it not? I don't know if you looked at it, but um, I'm trying to remember if it actually had, like, um, that's right, there was no Palpatine in it. So that's mm. a negative for mm-hmm. me because, well... Palpatine was the only positive about the trilogy. Well, it's like for me. I mean, I wouldn't have necessarily even been against cutting Palpatine if you know they had done something a little more interesting with the whole end. But it, it, again, my whole problem with how they handle Palpatine is just how they shoehorned him in. It's it, it could have been handled a lot better, undeniably. Yeah. Although I do like the idea that he is the avatar of all Sith. Yeah, I am the Sith. I am the Senate. Yeah, and then she just uh, retorts with, and I am all the Jedi. But you don't even see them. They're not there. Where are they? Weak, yeah. weak sauce. She doesn't even, he, she blocks his lightning and that's it. She doesn't even do like the Yoda thing where it coalesces into a ball and forces it back. It's like, I liked the visuals of his whole lair and everything, but the actual end battle, the, you know, the final period on the sentence, it was kind of underwhelming. It's like, eh, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, it, it definitely could have been a little more uh, climactic. Yeah. So basically, everyone involved, at least actors-wise, with that production has said, nope, they're never coming back. 
And as far as movies go, even um, Bob Iger said, yeah, we did maybe too many too fast. We're going to slow down. And now pandemic and everybody pulling out and nobody cares. So Star Wars is dead. No one was buying the merchandise. It's been killed. And then enters one shiny metal man and his pet goblin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so to be fair, The Mandalorian did start before the end of the sequel trilogy. Um, The first season did air last year, right before uh, Rise of Skywalker was released. Right, right before. I remember that. The the review I did with my friend um, in it, I say, you know what? I'm kind of more excited to watch episode eight. Or did I say nine? Yeah, episode eight than Star Wars episode nine. Right. As in episode eight. <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. Yeah, so so I will say, uh, first of all, if you haven't seen The Mandalorian, go see it, right? It's on Disney+. Plus. You can watch the entire series. Uh, it's all available for streaming. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, the second season is... They've aired four of the eight episodes as of the time of this whole thing, but they released it on a weekly basis. So anyway, if you have Disney Plus, there's no excuse not to see it. Go see it. What can we say about The Mandalorian? It's It's, good. It's a return to form in a way that the scope of it is pretty small. And it's like more a Western than the original Star Wars or even Star Trek. Like the original Star Trek is called like a... It's like a spaghetti western in space or something like that. I guess because it's kind of like when they're exploring the galaxy, it's like the Wild yeah. West. And, you know, they're, uh, we just blew it a town. We're explorers. You know, such and such. But, I mean. You definitely get that sense from the Mandalorian. Like, without a doubt. Mandalorian is like on the nose western. I When I watch it, it's, kind of, it's oh, I almost forget it's sci-fi. Because there's not much right. sci-fi to it. It's not a projection of humanity in the future or anything like that. It's just the Star Wars backdrop and then a Western set within that. And it's great. So, first of all, I will say every episode looks fantastic. Uh, if you're a nerd for cinematography, you're going to enjoy the series, right? Like, they, they clearly put a lot of time into crafting each shot, which you really don't get in a lot of modern television. So, <laughs> it's pretty damn cool. I, I know the budget for this thing has been ridiculous, too. Like, just each individual episode, they've been putting a lot of resources into making perfect. But and it really shows. They save a lot of budget. It was... And I, because I was um, looking at some behind the scenes stuff. So, as you may or may not know, and as was revealed before the series actually came out by um, the heck's name, Bill Burr, uh, when he was on Joe Rogan at one point, he said he was talking about the uh, virtual Unreal Engine's uh, backgrounds that they have. Like, obviously, he Mm -hmm. didn't know the technicality to it, but now I do. No, just a little bit. But anyway, they have like these big screens, these huge LED screens. And what they'll do is they'll actually create landscapes and environments in, I think, I don't know if it's Unreal Engine 4 or just some version of Unreal Engine that's like made exclusively for filming. Like, you know, when they were showing off like that PS5 demo a long time ago, I think it was in the summer where it's like, wow, look at these environments, look how dynamic they are. And look at all of the different, um, like polygons that we can now put into it because memory is a lot more accessible with the SSD and everything. So, you know, it's that advanced a kind of photorealistic landscapes that they put in the background. And a big reason why is because since he's wearing the shiny silver metal, if they were using a green or blue screen, that would reflect and have all the, you know, color spill on his armor. So instead, what they'll do is they'll have these actual 
movable backgrounds on these huge LED screens that surround the set, which can actually move with the cameras, like everything will be synced up, and so like the perspective will shift as the camera moves, and then you get all that natural light reflecting off of his armor, and it just works. Although I will say in the last episode, episode four of season two, I could really tell one scene that it was like a, uh, you know, a virtual background. I can't really explain how. It was just the way it looked. I was like, ah, I see it. I see it right there. No, it's really pretty incredible technology. And it very well could be poised to replace green screen and at some point in the future uh, as it becomes more accessible. I mean, so I will say the actual whole episode that Bill Burr is on in the first season is actually might be my favorite episode in the entire uh, Yeah, same for me. And you also have Clancy Brown (laughs) as the huge red guy. Yeah, which uh, I remember... So it's been my whole thing where I'm watching this series with my sister. Um, you know, she loves Star Wars, so it's a good excuse for me to watch television with her. And I pointed out, oh, that's Mr. Krabs. Yeah. <laughs> and she's looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, yeah. It's the Kurgan. There can be only one. Yeah. Clancy Brown is huge. Yeah, no, big dude for sure. Oh, and he's Lex Luthor, of course. Yeah, yeah. And he's played a general in at least... Two superhero shows. I know he was one in The Flash. Oh, yeah. And then in Punisher, hmm. he's some general guy. Hmm. I don't know if that's typecasting or what, but he does kind of have that authoritative uh, look and yeah. sound to him. I mean, if you, if you have that sort of size, stature, and voice, uh, it makes sense to have that sort of authoritative role. Uh, I get that. Oh, yeah. And he plays the uh, the drunk detective in the game Detroit Become Human, which is... There's so mm. many hilarious mm. interactions with him because he, like, hates androids and then... Of course, they force his partner to be an android. Mm. Mm. Lots of comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where do we go from here, right? Um, and it's worth mentioning where this takes place in the whole Star Wars universe for anyone who might be unfamiliar. A few years after Return of the Jedi, it is the immediate following collapse of the Empire and the resurgence of the now New Republic. So you actually see their ships like patrolling the Outer Rim, though not always because... Uh, there's a, there was a one re- recent episode. I don't know if you saw it, but um, th- they're on some planet with a lot of ocean creatures, and you see a uh, an imperial ship trading there. So it's like you'd see them trying to account. You know, the new government, whatever it is, they're trying to, I guess, clean everything up as much as they can, but they can't get everywhere. Right. So I mean, yeah. So it takes place, I think, about five years after the uh, collapse of the Empire and uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, like five or six. Yeah, it, whatever. It's basically you need to know that it's shortly after, but everyone is still well aware of who the Empire was. You still have a lot of these Empire loyalists roaming around. You still have a lot of people who were loyal to the New Republic roaming around. Um, and while they're, it, it's like you can tell it's a young government too, and that sort of fits the whole Wild West motif that you get as a backdrop, yeah. right? Where uh, everyone's sort of doing their own thing. Uh, you know, our main character here, Din Djarin, who is the titular Mandalorian. You actually uh, know his name. Holy shit. Yeah. You didn't know it? <laughs> I read it, but I did not memorize it because it's like something random that I wouldn't easily memorize in the first place. But it's like, right. I feel like just like his face, it's not significant. Yeah. I mean, everyone calls him Mando or the Mandalorian in the show. So it's, yeah, a little bit redundant. Yeah. And in case you didn't know, he's played by, or at least voiced Pedro by Pascal. Pedro Pascal, which is why I made I, that I, connection earlier. 
I, I'm pretty sure he does all the uh, body work too. I'm pretty sure it's actually him under the suit. I know for the most part. there was at least uh, rumors about him taking issue with that on set because he there's all these other actors who get FaceTime, but you know he's Pedro Pascal. He's in a decent number of things right now, and he's like, "Why am I here if I never have to show my face? What's the point?" And I understand that. So as the uh, the rumor goes, it was that they came to some agreement finally that. You know, he can just do the voice work and not have to actually be on set because he doesn't need to be on set. They can just have somebody else in the suit. Hmm. And, of course, they've already did that with Vader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's worth understanding. So, what was I going to say about Din Djarin or the Mandalorian? He is very morally ambiguous, right? Like, he has his own clear set of uh, clear set of rules. He has his own clear code that is the whole Mandalorian guild, which I know they sort of explore the whole mythology and the whole uh, departure that you sort of see with some members of the Mandalorian uh, uh, race, if you want to call them that. Culture? Um, I would say culture. culture. Uh, yeah, race seems misleading, right? They're not really a race, per se. But uh, Well, there was a planet that was their home world. So maybe technically they could be called a race if they are all descended from that. And you do see in one of the recent episodes a uh, group of characters that do claim to be of that descendants. They were apparently in Clone Wars and a little bit in um, uh, Star Wars Rebels, both of which I haven't seen. Mm. I don't know. I can't really get around the whole 3D animation thing, but... Yeah, no, it it always bugged me. I can never really get into it either. Well, those are mainly designed as like very action-y shows... And uh, I don't know, I kind of prefer the way Mandalorian, its episodes are, it's almost Star Trek-y and he goes to a new location, there's a kind of one episode centric small plot, you know, he goes to a place, he does a thing, there's some guest characters and it's it's cool. I like that format. Yeah, and it, it all works pretty well. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's action, but there's not like tons of lightsabers swinging around everywhere. There's no force either. And I like that. I yeah. like how it seems, even though it's clearly in the Star Wars universe, there's a bunch of it that's pushed to the side or not really acknowledged. Like, he even says, so, I know nothing about the Jedi. I'm like, that's good. That's good. Stay far away from that right. as you can. Yeah. So, I mean, it does come off as being pretty well grounded, but you do have Baby Yoda, who is force sensitive, who the child. You know, they sort of lead you to believe that, yeah, the child, uh, which still unnamed, uh, you know, uh, 12 episodes into the series. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's like, yeah, so he does clearly have the ability to move things with his mind. But, you know, they don't really go over the whole mythology of the Force in this because it's so well established at this point uh, that you don't really need to know much about it. Plus, it's like the Mandalorian himself doesn't seem to know or care about the actual, uh, you know, Force as it's presented in the uh, actual theatrical uh, universe. Right. Um. So, you know, it, it, it does add a whole interesting backdrop. It shows the whole different side of the Star Wars universe than you're probably used to seeing in any of the movies. Um, so why does this work where the sequel trilogy has sort of been seen as controversial? I think the sequel trilogy tried to go too big. And like we said, it just wasn't well thought out enough for how big they wanted to go. Yeah. So it's really just a point of staying grounded, working with the assets you do have, focus on telling a good story rather than just trying to appeal to the fans. Yeah, not just that, but of course, with the sequel trilogy, it was the sequel to the middle part, I guess you would say, of the Skywalker trilogy. So 
obviously they're also constrained by having to pick up on all those connections. Whereas this isn't really connected to much. They're just having to connect it to some things that were in previous series like Clone Wars just because, you know, it's cool to do that. But it's not held down by needing those connections. It's free to explore whatever it wants to because this is an era that hasn't yet been shown on screen. It's between the end of Return of the Jedi and then beginning of Force Awakens. So there's a whole lot they could do. Now, the reason why I think this is the way to go for the future, like forget movies, do series and have it set in areas that weren't explored. Like Rebels obviously did between um, three and four. So that's a little bit covered there if you consider that hard canon even though it's animated i guess you would since it's disney yeah i mean i'd be curious to see what the star wars universe looked like pre-palpatine i'd be curious to see what it looked like uh post-sequel trilogy um but you know it's like there's a whole mess of a time frame here to choose from right like Mm -hmm. you know i i remember listening to a podcast just talking about the star wars movies so far right and they pitched the idea of what would the Star Wars universe look like hundreds of years before Palpatine, before any of this, when there were Jedi basically everywhere, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you know, there's a lot of different angles that could take. Ultimately, it's about, you know, accepting the set rules, accepting the set world as it's been built so far uh, without trying to drastically change things, without trying to shoehorn in or change fundamentally what has already been introduced. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we know that they are going to, or at least have been trying to get moving on an Obi-Wan series, which, as I said, would be between uh, three and four. So it's all in time frames that we haven't yet seen, so it's not overriding anything. I don't know if you could argue that uh, Rogue One kind of uh, treads ground that Episode Four did, but it kind of leads up to it, so I'm I'm fine with that. But yeah, if you want to explore more Star Wars, do the stuff we haven't seen. So do those between eras, and I don't know if I would do after the end of Nine because I don't really care what happens after that. But I mean, you, know, you can curious, go into Old but, Republic, yeah. but I would say have it grounded somewhat in. In that it has some way it leads to or tangentially relates to A New Hope. Because that's, you know, that whole original trilogy is the fixed point in the Star Wars timeline. It's used even when you look in the, uh, like before Disney uncanonized all of the extended universe stuff. A New Hope was always seen as like, what was it, zero BBY or something like that. You know, it's some kind of marking like that where that's year zero and then everything is either before or after that. So, you know, if you wanted to explore the mythology, set it up in some way that you could see how it could possibly evolve into what you eventually see in the Star Wars we are so familiar with. Yeah, I mean, Rogue One is another sort of interesting example, right? Like, you know, it it takes place... You know, clearly within the Star Wars time frame, clearly using a lot of these uh, pre-established worlds building uh, techniques, uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But it does also clearly, uh, you know, it it shows a different side of this universe than what we're used to seeing. It shows a different story that we would have never seen otherwise. Uh, It clearly plays into the new uh, 
it, it clearly plays into the plot of a new hope without like drastically changing anything, you know? Yeah. And it actually does sort of clarify some of the detail. Like it, it basically the whole movie exists just to clear up a plot hole that's bugged the fandom since the original Star Wars came out. So mm-hmm. yeah. you know what was funny? I, it adds to it. When I was going into that movie, I expected there to be Bothan spies. I was like, hey, where's the Bothans? But that was the second Death Star plans that the, mm-hmm. they got to. Just a little thing, because I played uh oh what <laughs> can't remember anything tonight. Well, it's late. It's like eleven thirty at this point, but in yeah. the original Battlefront 2, the Bothan spy is one of the you know, classes you can use. And so I was keen to that when it was mentioned that episode six, like when I watched it after having played the game. Where were they? Oh, wait, it's not too early. They're not there yet. But yeah, one thing I think the Mandalorian does especially, especially well. And we know uh, a few things. We know it's being headed by John Favreau, who knows what he's doing. Great director. Uh, Dave Filoni, who did all the Clone Wars, he's the producer, and he often consults with George Lucas. George Lucas approves of this. He didn't exactly approve of the uh, sequel trilogy, and even Bob Iger acknowledged that they could have handled that better in his book. That There's a new book out now, which I wanted to briefly mention. It's called, um, uh, where is it? The Star Wars Archives, 1999 to 2005. That's about the making of the prequel trilogy, and so it went a little bit into what Lucas's plans were for, you know, like starting with 7, 8, and 9. And he would have had Darth Maul return and be a main antagonist. And um, he would have had to focus on Leia and Luke rebuilding the uh, the Jedi Order. So, ah, ah, it just gives me pain. I wish, I wish they would have done something like that. But yeah, anyway, as I was saying, Mandalorian has a great attention to detail. Detail like sound effects, little visual cues, alien races, all these small things that are present that you may not notice right away, but they all add to the full picture. They all add to the whole atmosphere and setting. And if you listen closely, because I always do when I watch the episodes, you hear sound effects that are from A New Hope, from Empire Strikes Back, from Return of the Jedi, like something as simple as the sound of a door opening. The fact that it's the exact same sound effect or like like maybe a uh, remastered version of it because it sounds a little crisper, that really goes a long way to sell it for me, to sell the fact that it is in this universe. It is that same world. It's a completely different story, all different characters, but it is that world, which is something that Star Trek Discovery screws up beyond belief all the time. Although the funny thing about Discovery and I guess you could say Star Trek Picard, is that they do have some of the original sounds or similar sounding sounds, but they'll like be used uh, incorrectly. Like you'll hear a transporter sound when somebody presses something on the bridge. Like it doesn't line up. I don't know. Everything to me about the new Star Trek is like they're aware of its history, but they just either don't understand it or they don't do enough research. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Star Trek. That's a whole rant that we should not get into tonight. But right. that that is a big reason why I appreciate Mandalorian more is because it seems very respectful of the canon and the world and the setting. It's immersive. Like every time he goes on a new planet, you see an, uh, a member of an alien race that probably was like on the screen for a second or two in one of the original trilogy movies or even the prequels. And uh, mm. yeah, mm. I like that. 
I look at it, I see, I know what that is. I know, oh, I start clapping. <laughs> yeah, in short, it, it does what it sets out to do well. And an important thing is that, as we see with the plot developing right now, it's leaving room to become greater, for it, the scope of it to become greater, which is something that I think, if I could draw another Star Trek comparison, that Deep Space Nine did. You know, that was another episodic series that started small. It's just daily life on a space station, and you have all these different alien cultures interacting, and it explores the characters. And then as the seasons roll on, you see the whole uh, scope of this impending big war with the, the whole Dominion faction, and it slowly builds up and becomes greater and greater. And, you know, by the seventh season, it's it's all out. It's everywhere. Even even by the fourth season, I think there's like a huge battle scene. So, and the Orville yeah. kind of did that too. Small ship, yeah, for sure. small stories. All of a sudden, mid season, huge battle. That's the way you do it. Don't go too big, too fast. That's what the J.J. Abrams led Star Wars did, and that's what the J.J. Uh, Abrams offshoot uh, production crew did with the. Uh, Discovery, very first episode of Discovery. Huge space battle, ships everywhere, millions of things firing in every direction. Just scale it down a bit, have a good attention to detail, and take your time. Well, I think we've made our point here. Uh, unless you have anything else to say, I'm ready to sign off. Uh, I don't know, I think we covered it. Uh, I like Gina Carano. Who doesn't, am I right? She was also in <laughs> Deadpool as, uh, what was her name, Angel Dust? Yeah, it's a minor role, but she's the uh, super strong, you know, sort of henchman of Ajax. She is thick. And I think yeah. you know what I mean when I say thick. That's with two C's. <laughs> yes, we, we, we got it. Yeah. And of course, seeing Carl <laughs> Weathers is great. Yeah. You know, it's funny. When I was younger, I would always confuse Billy D. Williams and Carl Weathers. I was like, oh, yeah, Apollo Creed. Isn't he that guy who's Lando? But now he's actually in Star Wars. <laughs> but I know the difference this time. Carl Weathers is the guy in Predator who gets his arm uh, shot off. <laughs> yes, he is. With all that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Utterly Nonsense Podcast. You can find all of our links and all of our previous episodes at utterlynonsense.com. You'll find a list of links there with literally all of our podcast sources. Go check that out if you liked what you heard here. If you did stick around for this long, thanks for listening. Uh, check out our, our other podcasts. We do release semi-regularly, so you know, make sure you're following us on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And once again, if you're listening to this on Thanksgiving, have a great Thanksgiving. And we will probably do one last podcast for this year, next month, obviously. Uh, topic of which... Maybe two if we're inspired more. <laughs> topic of which, yet to be determined, but I do have something in mind for the format and it could potentially be interesting you'll see what i mean maybe hopefully so yeah stay tuned follow us on all the shit and uh yeah that's all i got anyway with all that being said eat music play us out <laughs>